Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Mostly Photo is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Mostly Photo with Lisa Bettany and Leo Laporte. Episode 9, recorded May 17th, 2011. Stu Mashwitz. Mostly Photo is brought to you by Ford and the 100% reinvented 2011 Ford Explorer. With room for seven passengers, best-in-class V6 highway fuel economy, and available sync with my Ford Touch, the 2011 Ford Explorer is perfect for your adventures with the family. For more information and to submit your photos to the Mostly Photo Adventure Awards, visit MostlyPhotoAdventures.com. And by, and by Audible.com. For your free book, visit AudiblePodcast.com slash MostlyPhoto. It's time for Mostly Photo. Lisa Bettany's back in studio with us. Hello, Lisa. Yay. Hey, everybody. Yay. <laughs> also joining us, we have a special guest in the studio with us, Stu Mashwitz. Hi, Stu. Hi. Nice Great to, to be see here. you. What is, what is Stu's area of expertise? Fill me he, in here, Lisa. He is remarkable. He's a filmmaker. He's a photographer. <laughs> he runs an amazing blog at ProLost. Dot com. He worked at ILM, which is like, oh. <laughs> Formerly uh, Alex Lindsay's boss, I heard. <laughs> uh, that was Lisa's words, not mine. But, uh, uh, huh? yes, we shared an office together. Got in wow. trouble together. So what did you do at ILM? Um, I uh, was the supervisor of the group, you know, that Alex was in there called the Rebel Mac Unit. So The we, Rebel Mac Unit. The Rebel Mac Unit, <laughs> yes. W- was that because you were Mac users or? Uh, yeah, it was it was based on John Knoll, actually, who had, you know, I was working together with him on the first Mission Impossible movie, the Brian De Palma one. We were flying helicopters through the channel, and I went <laughs> wow. up to visit his that office. That doesn't sound safe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did it in a safe way. Uh, actually, we totally didn't. Tom Cruise really got hurt doing, doing those stunts himself. Really? It was actually really cool. Yeah, he wow. was like, John Knoll came back from the set with all these amazing stories of, like, how, how Tom Cruise would, brave like, he was. Yeah, huh? be flipping around on wires and... Shh. Um, meanwhile, John was busily cranking out shots for the Star Wars re-release on his beige Mac in his office. And I was just like, <laughs> that looks like you're actually having fun. Like, that looks like you're... What were they using before that? Uh, Sun, SGI uh, Well, yeah, and ILM or? obviously continued to do that. They used the super high-end stuff. But with that stuff, I always sort of felt like I was like the pit crew, like spending time under the hood. Whereas I felt like John had figured out a way to just be the race car driver, right. just do the creative work and have, right. fun. have fun. And so together we concocted this idea that maybe there could be almost a division that was like a boutique within ILM that would do specific types of shots using off-the-shelf hardware and software. So we the were Rebel the Rebel Mac, Mac unit. unit. Yeah. I love it. Very, very cool. So you still photography, I mean, although there are some great still uh, photographs on ProLost.com, in fact, <laughs> Were, were you at the Endeavor launch yesterday? I wasn't at the launch yesterday, but I went out there for the first attempt two weeks ago. That's where I there met There were a lot of people waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah. yeah. And that so, building is amazing. Yeah. Look at the size is, of that. Yeah. So that's looking straight up at the uh, ceiling of the vehicle assembly building. That There's there's 520 feet between us and that roof. That Holy cow. Yeah. Holy cow. And that it's, shot, actually, I, I love that one because that's sort of a little dark back corner of the VAB. And to me, it just looked like something from a John Carpenter film. It was so, like, it's so kind of not high-tech then, you know? And, and if you, there's those elevators there, if, I, I, I should post a detail because you can see there's, um, 
there's like a map, like a vertical map of the um, main uh, rocket booster for the shuttle. And so you know what floor to get off of, <laughs> depending on which part of the booster you're working <laughs> wow. on. You know, there's like a map of a rocket. It feels very Half-Life, actually. Yeah, doesn't I, it? Yeah, doesn't it feel yeah. like you should be kind of bobbing your way yeah. through there with a, yeah. with a gun in front of you? Yeah. Something's going to jump out at me in a minute now. <laughs> It's, you know, it's kind of a wonderful opportunity to take that picture, but, you know, it's so far away. What well, you're three miles, at closest you can get is three miles away uh, uh, from, from the launch, right? From the launch, yeah. I mean, in that shot there, uh, the, the the shot of the actual orbiter, I, I did manage to get closer, but... Um, but but yeah, that's I mean, pre-launch. Yeah, unlike Trey, I don't think I would have actually tried to shoot the launch. I just wanted to... <laughs> See to it. be there, the yeah. background. Well, that's good because you didn't get to see the launch, so it <laughs> yeah, worked out really yeah, well. Yeah, wish, wish, wish granted. Yeah. So you you do obviously still photos, but you're known for for doing video. Yeah, I guess I have kind of an odd way into all this, but I um yeah, I went to film school, um, worked at ILM, then I left and started a film production company called The Orphanage, which was based in San Francisco. Oh, I know The Orphanage. Yeah. yeah okay. Oh, so yeah, that was me cool. and Scott Stewart and John Rothbart. We kind of met at ILM and then branched off together and took the principles basically of the Rebel Mac unit and turned it into a whole company. Right. And we did that for 10 years. And during that time, I did visual effects for things like Sin City, working with Robert Rodriguez. Incredible. And lots Incredible. of big movies like that, but yeah. also uh, developed a career as a commercial director. And uh, and and then weirdly also, I'd be on these big high budget shoots with film cameras and all that. But I was always interested in the original precepts of our company, which was that along at the same time that those 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 off the shelf computers started to get really uh, easy to do high quality work with, mm -hmm. it you know, these digital video cameras were coming out. And to me, what was happening was a really amazing collision of accessibility where a filmmaker without a ton of money could produce something that had a really high production value. And that became kind of my MO. And I actually wrote a book called The DV Rebels Guide. And that is Very cool. all about basically making, you know, like your garage diehard, you know, and, and, <laughs> and, uh, and trying well, to... Robert Rodriguez you? is big on that. Yeah, he was like, super... He was one of the first people to sort of really go out there and say, hey, like, you don't need... Tons Absolutely. of money to make a great movie. He's totally, I mean, he's he's a total hero of mine, what he did with El Mariachi. And then... I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. it's just so inspirational, right? Although I mean, the funny thing is, in those days, he had to max his credit cards to buy film stock. You don't have to buy yeah, film stock yeah. anymore, do you? And he did that crazy thing where he would, like, you know, he was shooting 60 mil and recording with the thing. Yeah. And he was, it was all kind of start-stop, and every frame of film was precious and everything. So he definitely... Uh, was at the bleeding edge of that kind of idea. I, I I got his kind of blessing to use the word rebel in the title of uh, of my book, and and he he gave me a little blurb for the back of it. He was really sweet. So I, I that, that that definitely I wanted to kind of continue that, take that inspiration into the digital world and talk about how these knowing a little bit of little tiny bit of what mm -hmm. you know Alex and I would do at ILM, and mm -hmm. then a uh, and then just some fundamental cinematography principles applied back to video cameras could turn you into a filmmaker whose work wouldn't look like shaky cam video trying to be something it wasn't, but that yeah. you could really push the production value. Well, you must have, I mean, just watching DSLRs over the last few years, like how incredible it is that anyone can go out and shoot amazing video. Yeah, no, just it is, it's, it's, it's really, it's obviously been an exciting and, and cool time. And I think there's a lot of people are discovering video because of that. For me, it was kind of the other way around where my, <laughs> it just turned my love of photography and my love of filmmaking into one really expensive hobby as opposed to two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, 
it didn't but yeah it's it's a great thing to just kind of be able to buy one type of lens instead of three <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know anybody who's ever uh, who's made movies based on uh, the precepts in the uh, dv rebels guide do you know any films that have uh, yeah have I, I, I wonder if I, could, I i don't know if i could think of any offhand but there have definitely been a few met people, people who said have, i made a movie yeah i know they, cool. they they would definitely be that kind of feedback and then then kind of my my third life is that i designed software for a company called red giant software and i created this software called magic bullet Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! I was just trying well, we, to get his secrets we, because I we love know about that. Magic Bullet. In fact, uh, uh, you know who who loves Magic Bullet? Doctor Tiki of Tiki oh. Bar TV uses Magic yes, Bullet on almost right. every frame of his, <laughs> yes. of his video. Yeah, those. Uh, that's true. That 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 show is basically kind of an ad for it's Magic Bullet. It yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I um so I get a lot of that kind of feedback too, where people point out to me like, oh, we you know we couldn't have done this independent film without colorista which is our color correction tool or uh magic bullet what does magic bullet do for those who don't know so basically you know sitting around at ilm and working on these big movies like i would study kind of like why why movies look the way they do like what is it about film that looks the way it is and i and and some of it is technical things and some of it is creative things and what magic bullet looks is it's a soft it's a software plugin that works with final cut with uh, premiere with after effects and it gives you basically like a map of a camera where you can lay in filters and film stocks and things that relate to your understanding of photography in the real world. And you can, um, you can basically put together kind of a recipe for your look. And obviously we have presets, which I think is one of the most attractive things about it mm -hmm. is that you right. can just shop basically using not, not with using canned thumbnails, but using, you know, your actual image and, and just respond to it, which is something that I think, doesn't exist enough in the kind of professional sphere is this idea of just show me a picture and let me emotionally respond to it don't bog mm -hmm. me down with technical terms and that kind of thing um and it's really it's really quite easy to use yeah yeah and and, and fun you know the idea is to, to have something be fun so um <laughs> from directors to <laughs> red giant software yeah. magic bullet mojo yeah so this is actually mojo is was is is a simplified product that we created that it really just is designed to give you that kind of blockbuster movie look yeah. with just a minimum of sliders and not the full kind of magic bullet as you can see this one's uh uh it's pretty amazing what you could do though I, I really yeah. like it you know i mean this is all i could understand believe <laughs> and i think it's something that can take your video from looking like a home movie to something that is oh yeah professional and a lot of people ask you know how do i you know i really want to make a great you know, demo or something like that. And it's, this is something you can use to really sort of push it and make it look really, really cool. It takes the digital to, out of digital. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I'm a mm -hmm. big kind of traditionalist. I love film and I love kind of the... It's much more filmic. Yeah, yeah I, I like I like things to look uh, like celluloid. So a lot of the... Yeah, that's exactly what a lot of the focus is. I use really technical stuff to kind of actually strip away some of the too perfect look. Yeah, it's that, too good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Too sharp, yeah. too... Uh, too present, too crisp. Before we began, Lisa was selling, saying she likes your light leaks. I love your light leaks. I uh, want your light leaks. Give me your secrets. So she's talking about Plastic Bullet, which is our was our first iPhone now. Uh, we have a couple more now, but yeah, Plastic Bullet photo uh, or Plastic Bullet camera is our is our iPhone app, and basically the uh, yeah the idea was not a new one to uh, to make photos look like they've been captured with a toy plastic camera yeah. but but i think what we uniquely bring to bear is that we have this image processing technology that 
really understands how film works. And so those light leaks don't just feel like a layer slapped on top. They really feel like they're kind mm-hmm. of, you know, textures rotting and, out yeah. of the core of the piece of film that maybe you dragged behind a pickup truck and or found in an <laughs> old, old shoebox. It's and crazy that we have this technology that makes great photos, especially like an iPhone 4 actually takes great crisp photos and then yeah. we're slapping all Mess these, it up. Mess it up. Yeah, make filters it dirty. on it to make them yeah. look like they're taken with a crappy camera. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. you know, I mean, I think a lot about that stuff and I, I, I really believe that my job as a photographer or as a filmmaker is to not not to capture reality or to recreate what the human eye sees my my job is very specifically to communicate an emotion to a viewer mm-hmm. if i if i if i went somewhere really cool like the kennedy uh space center and i want to i, I can easily take a photo that proves i was there or that mm-hmm. shows off how big something was or whatever but if i can take a photo that makes you feel the way i felt when i was standing there mm-hmm. that's something special and that has almost nothing to do with technical precision uh it, it, it does play into it but it's surprising how oftentimes you know these technically amazing lenses like some of the ones i brought with me today mm-hmm. you know we do things like we shoot with our 50 millimeter lenses wide open when they were never really designed to be shot that way because less mm-hmm. is more we throw that background out of focus and then we're able to isolate the emotional component of a mm-hmm. shot as opposed to meticulously recreate all a, a, a bit of distracting information in the background that your iPhone four, for example, will happily meticulously. <laughs> That's all I can do. Yeah. Fact. So, so your shot of your mom becomes a shot of your mom and, <laughs> and like the dog and the yeah. tree and the people down the street. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, you know, we'll happily smudge that all out for you for only a dollar ninety nine. I love, I love your post processing. Where do you get the ideas? I mean, you say obviously you take a lot of inspiration from from film. Yeah, but yeah. Do you actually take from actual films? I that do, you watch? Yeah. yeah, every every time I Netflix a new movie, I, I'm still a stalwart to get uh, the discs. And in fact, even if I even if I get a Blu-ray, I'll return the Blu-ray and get the the DVD back so that I can screen huh. capture it. And I keep huh. a library with me on my iPad oh, and iPhone of, of reference images from movies. And that's actually uh, just a huge part to me of just why it's so great to have these kind of mobile devices because you can just keep kind of an inspiration mm-hmm. book with you at all times. And uh, yeah, I just ruthlessly st- steal color palettes from movies. And, uh, you know, there's some really, as a commercial director, I got to work with these these guys who's literally their job is colorist. You know, they, mm-hmm. the film comes in or now maybe some digital formats come in, but you sit with a really gifted post-processing mm-hmm. genius and he or she takes your footage and makes it more than the sum of its parts, makes it just pop off the screen. Mm-hmm. And getting to work with some of these guys like Stefan Sonnenfeld, who color corrects all the Transformers movies, and Dave Hussey is another great... Those movies look Oh, yeah. Great. I mean, they just... Yeah. Oh, they just I mean, explode, magic. You know? He's got Magic Hour under control, and he makes Magic Hour <laughs> yeah. look even And obviously, it is, you know, it is good to remember that it's, it's a collaborative effort. If it isn't there on film then it isn't gonna you, you can't really make magic happen in the color correction unless the shot was beautiful mm-hmm. to begin with but uh i picked up a lot of tricks from these guys and so when i'm sitting in lightroom i'm actually kind of trying to find the equivalent sliders to do the kinds of adjustments so you're you use lightroom and photoshop are your main tools i almost never touch photoshop wow uh, to me there's something about Lightroom that just f- makes me feel like Lightroom is photography and Photoshop is something else, and and I 
and, and this is probably just laziness on my part and, yeah. and, and the fact that I have the great luxury of not being a professional photographer. So I don't yeah. have to <laughs> deal with a client who says, you know, we didn't like my mother-in-law's hair in any of these photos <laughs> from our wedding or whatever, you yeah. know, like, um, but to me, if you can do it in Lightroom, then it's photography. And if it's not, it's not. And, and so that's kind of where just for my own. So you don't do a lot of manipulations, cloning and getting rid of. I do. I do every last ounce of it that Lightroom will let me do. But no <laughs> more. But yeah. no more. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I, I mean, yeah, there's times where I, I bust it out, but I, I don't, I don't know why. I just kind of feel like, uh, I mean, I love all the local corrections. I love all that stuff. You know, I have uh, your color, like you're thinking on, on a bigger picture, like the color and those things rather than like, yeah, and maybe in part I'm details. also kind of afraid of the rabbit hole of just diving down mm -hmm. too far deep into That's there and just never at. coming back. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm in that place where I'm changing people's heads and like taking eyes from different shots. That's a rabbit hole for yeah. sure. <laughs> that <laughs> never-ending process. No, you know, I have a shot like that that I took three years ago where I was literally trying to just merge three, yeah. you know, group portrait shots into the perfect one. It's It's almost done. You need Microsoft Windows. They can do that on the TV all the time. I see it. I see it. Oh, Every no. time they do that. Stu Masowicz is here. He uh, His blog is prolost.com. Somebody in the chat room says, are we ever going to see a Sin City 2? Oh, actually, you know, it's something I think that they're working on. Oh, good. Yeah, I don't have any insider information on it other than just uh, what's been reported. Which it's is a beautiful that, looking film and uh, really yeah. unique. Oh, yeah. No, it was really just, I mean... If there's anyone who's maybe more or equally a hero to me than Robert Rodriguez, it was Frank Miller. So yeah. when when and in in forever he had kind of said that they weren't going to make that movie, but Robert was the one. Robert literally, I don't know how many people know this story, but Robert, you know, flew Frank to Austin, wow, and had set up a shoot, and was and just basically said, "You're the director, and we're 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 just shooting one of your um, <laughs> short Sin City stories, like a little two pager." And uh, it became the bracketing bookend of the movie. Neat. Um, and uh, and Frank just kind of got a taste of it and uh, co-directed the movie with Robert. That's neat. He's of course the creator of the graphic novel. That's right. So yeah, yeah. An artist, not a photographer or a yeah. No, and, and so for, for him, it was an interesting. Well, that was the great privilege for me to be a part of that process of helping. No kidding. To take Frank's you know, graphical artwork vision and turn it into something photographic. Yeah, he has some of the best composition oh, it's amazing. of anyone. Yeah, very Just original and interesting. He can tell a story in one yeah. frame. Yeah. When I was working with him, I would line up a shot sometimes and he would say, wow, that's a really great composition. And I'm sitting there thinking, do I tell him yeah. that the reason that he likes <laughs> it, it matches I, exactly? Well, yeah. no, it's like, because I learned everything. I feel like I learned a ton about composition from reading his books. You yeah. Know? I just, he... he there's a lot of places to draw inspiration from, but his his images are pure composition. You were doing it right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll get more. We actually have some tips from Stu for uh, you and your uh, video making, and uh, we also have a little bit of uh, some gear, which oh, is yeah. going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that <laughs> in just a, a second. This portion of uh, Mostly Photos brought to you by our friends at Ford, creators of the 100% all-new reinvented 2011 Ford Explorer, just take a look at the inside. You'll see, I mean, a gorgeous place for you and your family and all your gear and exceptional craftsmanship, fit and finish to die for. You got it. You know, the best thing to do is go to a Ford dealer and take a look. Just take a drive in the uh, Ford Explorer. Seven seats with three three rows with up to seven uh, seats. But also, if you want to fold the second and third row down, you get huge cargo capacity, 80.7 cubic feet. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if that's meaningful to, to you, but I could tell you we got... Uh, 
plenty of people in the Ford Explorer in Vegas at our at our photo walk, and then tons of gear in it later. Great 3.5 liter V6 engine, 290 horsepower, 255 foot pound of torque. Great for towing, by the way, with that optional tow package of up to 5,000 pounds. And you don't give up mileage. No, nowadays, no one can afford to. 25 highway miles per gallon, according to the EPA. That's best in class. The 2011 Ford Explorer. Do get inside, take a look at the uh, all-new Ford, my Ford Touch, based on that great Ford Sync, the 8-inch uh, screen in the console, the two touch screens behind the steering wheel. You can control everything in the vehicle, including all the music with voice commands and touch commands, navigation, the phone. So sweet. Check out the 2011 Ford Explorer 100% reinvented at a dealer near you. I think you're going to like it. We thank them for uh, sponsoring the mostlyphotoadventures.com site. Check it out, mostlyphotoadventures.com. We're going to go there in a minute and take a look at our uh, photo award finalists and our winners uh, pretty soon because Lisa's picked a winner and you have picked a winner have. from our finalists last week. But let's get back to our guest, Stu Mashowitz, and our tips for all you. This is good, Lisa, because we've been talking about the idea that we should do uh, more coverage of how to how to shoot video. Because mm-hmm. everybody now with a high-end SLR and, and certainly all point-and-shoots have yeah. video capability. I, I feel like it's it's definitely a window that's opening up to a lot of people. And a lot of people, when they're thinking about buying their first DSLR, considering, you know, I really want to shoot video as well. So how do yeah. I do this? And, that you know, people are kind of scared of video. And I have to say, when I first got my 5D, it, it wasn't easy. Yeah. It's not something, it's not like, you know, with your iPhone where you just hit a button and you're shooting a video. Yeah, yeah. There's actually some talent involved in focusing <laughs> and, you know, certainly lens choice and that kind of thing. So, yeah, and, you're, and you're also, you're fighting a form factor. You're suddenly, this thing that's, that's the biggest so problem. Yeah. It's not made for that, is yeah. it? Yeah. It's been so comfortable in your hands. It's your best friend. You're super familiar with it. And all of a sudden you're holding it awkwardly and your <laughs> shots are wobbly. And you, 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 <laughs> is, yeah. Well, you've got a rig. We'll show that in a little bit that, yeah. that, that, that transforms that. But let's get to uh, some of your tips. Tip number one is something you call decoy shooting. And this solves my problem exactly. Because every time I come up to somebody and say, let me take your picture, they pose for me. Yes. And I hate that. Yeah, and you and, and I, I think it, we're all interested in exploring that, that concept of kind of street photography where you just randomly approach people. Some of us are braver about it than others. Right. Um, it's something you can actually do uh, with video as well as with stills. But there's a knack to getting someone to kind of slip out of that mode of being... Uh, photographed. Here's so a great the, shot. Oh, I thanks. love this. So this was actually, I was um, <laughs> overseeing the visual effects work on a commercial that we were shooting at Disney and I had my uh, 5D with me for uh, just reference photography and uh, literally was just wanted to show off the lens to one of the guys I was shooting with. So I just <laughs> walked up to the row of people who were watching us shoot. We had, you know, uh, some of the costume characters and stuff there so we had attracted a little bit of a crowd and, um, and I came up to this group of girls and I could tell that she was shy about something. She wouldn't smile when all of her friends would smile. And so I kind of made it my little mission in life to capture a sincere moment of this girl. And so, yeah, so decoy shooting, right? Your first few shots, the person is posing. They're hyper aware that there's a camera there and and they're not used to that click, click, click of the the rapid fire. And so you just use that. Just blow through a bunch of shots. You know you're going to spend them and you're just going to throw them all away. And then you pause. And you let her think you're done, <laughs> and she giggles, and she, and all this sincere moment comes out, and I just, I mean, look at that smile; it just explodes yeah. off her yeah. face. Like, I, that, that shot makes me so happy every time I see it. So that, that's that's decoy shooting. I see it all the time where people 
are click, click, click. They take the posed photo and then they drop and the, the best camera photo. and start chimping the, ca- yeah. the, the photo. Yeah. And meanwhile, their subject is giving them all the good stuff yeah. that they're sitting there going, why didn't I get it? And it's happening right in front yeah. of them while their camera's pointed at their face. What do you call that? Chimping the photo? <laughs> I like yeah, that. That's, uh, that's a sort of inside baseball photography term for <laughs> spending time, you know, uh, re- re- reliving the recent past. Yeah. And, and there's all, you, can, you can chimp with a friend, too. You can hand the, hey, look at that. Hey. I chimp too much. I, that's my problem. I'm not getting those great photos. Chimp less, shoot more. So since you're a color expert, tip number two has a little bit to do with, uh, with color. Yeah. Yeah, and actually gets back to what I was saying about keeping that library of reference images, which is um, skin tone is just so important. It's just it's a really interesting thing about, and you know this from calibrating your video cameras and whatever. You yeah, we always calibrate for yeah. skin. Yeah, that's exactly. what you want. It's the sweet spot, and it's actually yeah. for NTSC video, the whole signal orbits around, around skin. skin. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. There's that line on the vector scope that video people know that like, there's the uh, skin. yeah that's just yeah and if you and if you're not right on that line right then suddenly your face and your shirt are the same color you know which it, they actually kind of are <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean you look great there and that's um it's the, it's the, it's the pink shirt <laughs> <laughs> but you could if you weren't careful you could look a lot like the little uh, sunflower guy behind you too. right so, right, so right. somewhere between the orange of the sunflower and the pink of the shirt is this color i call porange which is what people are. Orange. Orange. Yeah. White people are. Obviously. No, actually all people are orange. Even if if you're if you're black, you're orange. Y- y- black people are orange because the hue doesn't change. We're all on that line. We have different saturations and oh, we that's have That's interesting. So it's just more saturated. Yeah, or or lower luminance or whatever right. it is, but like we all want to live on that line. And certainly So is this guy are- like definitive orange, Ben Mint? <laughs> yeah, so that's um, at, uh, the standing outside of uh, the Blue Bottle Coffee. Does uh, he know he's perfect orange? He uh, he does now. He's, <laughs> believe it or not, that's actually uh, that guy is a, one of the quality engineers on the Adobe Lightroom team. Awesome, and uh, he's an old friend of mine. We went to uh, like first grade together. Oh, and that's great. He is the perfect orange in that shot, and the way I know that is there's no real to unlike you know some of the video tools and like we have a version of Magic Boat Looks called Photo Looks that actually gives you some tools to help measure this stuff. But if you are just sitting in Lightroom, you don't really have a, you, it's really you have true. a histogram you, you to navigate know. luminance values by, but you don't yeah. really have a compass to navigate hue by. So to me, I just cheat and I bring in a shot from a movie that I think is beautiful, and I just lay it right alongside. You eyeball it. I just eyeball it, but I. But I very specifically will match them exactly. Like, that's the thing I think that people should feel okay about doing is getting in there and grabbing those controls in, um, you know, in Adobe Camera Raw or in, in, uh, in Lightroom. There's a little group of, of controls I think not a lot of people touch, which are the, uh, the individual hue offsets for different colors. So you can uh, literally yes, take yes. orange and you can make it more yellow or more pink. And that's basically the person knob. You can adjust people with just one slider. And uh, so you're doing all of this in post. So, I mean, are you concerned with white balance when you shoot or? or I will shoot raw. So I'm never concerned with white balance when I shoot. And I'm also not concerned at all with getting a shot. Correct. I'm I'm concerned (laughs) with bringing home a robust negative. So I definitely think a lot about my exposure and making sure that if I think I'm going to want to recover something from a sky, that I have it in the shot. Right. Um, so show me where, where to look on, uh, on yeah, Lightroom Yeah, so scroll, scroll down below. So the we're in the develop, there. the develop uh, page of Lightroom. Yeah, and down farther, farther. 
and you may actually you may need to twirl it open. This is the thing because I don't have it open. Yeah. Obviously, there you go. That's the thing. Effects, lens uh, corrections. No, no, it's higher up. Like I think it's the it's the HSL. Yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah, the HSL. HSL color yeah, in black see, and white. Uh, okay. Look at these now, little things. Right, I've never you, even seen these. Oh, there you go. Oh man. So these are your best friends in the whole so world. So should I put up a split frame and have my my porringe uh, kind of yeah have your porringe reference, reference file. Yeah, and if you want a really specific tip, so you can slide orange back and forth, and you'll see people start going from yellow to pink. Okay. And you can do kind of the great thing that Lightroom lets you do so well, which is you can just kind of stop looking at the slider and just find where the setting see, kind of naturally See, I always do this lands. in white balance, but I should really be doing yeah. this in HSL. Yeah, now do your white balance first, because the white balance... Uh, get that right. Will, well, yeah, get it, get it feeling right to you, right. And, then, um, and then do this slider. And, he, and here's the thing. If you have someone in the shot who's really ruddy, who's really um, maybe been uh, partying the previous night... Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. All right. I got somebody really ruddy in yes, there. You do. Wow. That uh, was alarmingly. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then fast so I should play with the porringe. Yeah. Uh, what I meant to say is, if you have um, a beautiful naked woman. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's a little too red. I okay. Think. So that's, yeah. that's beyond porringe. Yeah, yeah. Actually, he wants to get a little yellower. And in fact, so now what you can do: take the red slider and yeah. push it to push the it right. Right. Oh. And you're going to take red and also now you know. Maybe you want this guy to be red. <laughs> but like, That's are, much more porringy, though, than it was. But you porringified that guy. Yeah. And, and, he, and he now looks a little more like a human being and a little bit this, less like a this, beat. This, is, I, this was shot with a poor camera phone, so I'm, I can see I'm having some trouble here by porringing him. But, yeah, uh, yeah, but you, you get the idea. There, I'm, going for the, I'm going for the Ben Mint look. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, so, so, I don't so think keep, that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to... You got to find the right reference to kind of do it within reason, and I love the idea of taking a still from a movie. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, obviously, whatever floats your boat in terms of reference. But to me, like kind of a cinematic look and feel is what I shoot for with my stills. Right. So. Now, are you concerned with um, monitor calibration and that kind of thing when you're dealing with? Yeah, I yeah. am. I calibrate. <laughs> I calibrate my monitors, but I, I do think it is possible to go uh, too far down that rabbit hole too. I think actually those of us who use Macs are pretty lucky in the sense mm -hmm. that the monitor falls off the truck. They're pretty good. pretty good, and okay. with a right. color profile that jibes well. You're not using with, a colorimeter, and, and, and you don't use like a spider or. or I do actually. I do. You do. I you know I I, I, hoard, I jealously hoard my old 30 inch cinema display, and I have that one properly color calibrated. Oh, but the truth is, I just I just bought. In fact. Just as I got in the car to come here, my 27-inch iMac Core i7 showed up. Yay. So, sis, you know, I want to thank you for, because for, I would have just called in sick. <laughs> I want to thank you for yeah, showing up. demonstrating my commitment. Yeah, I would have <laughs> said, screw these guys. I got a, I got an iMac to I open. Know, it was really hard to leave. Actually. Yeah. So I'm going to, you know, this is going to be an interesting, that those displays, as you know, are so different than kind of a properly mm -hmm. calibratable display. I'm going to take it as a little challenging personal project to see what I can do with it. Because I know that some folks have gone down the road of trying to use a spider to calibrate those and have wound up feeling like actually the default settings better. were better. Yeah. You know? So it is it is possible to sometimes try to pound a square peg into a round hole a little too hard. So, Assuming you don't have a Mac, though, can you give some tips for those people? Because pe people have asked me, and you yeah. know, I, I've always had a Mac, so I'm not really sure. Yeah, I mean... 
buy one of those things and and just follow and read the Spider's instructions. not that expensive. Yeah, no, no, they're about a hundred dollars. Yeah, and I think I don't think you need anything super special, but I think just the process of doing it, it does two things. Obviously, it, it calibrates and then profiles your display. And when you right. launch something like Lightroom or Aperture, the the pixels aren't just being pushed to the screen; they're being pushed through the screen through a layer of adjustment that is aware of the particulars of your screen. And so as long as you have a profile that is right for your display, mm-hmm. and in the case of a Mac, that might just be a best guess based on what the manufacturer thought. Mm-hmm. But in the case of when you buy the spider and do the profile, then it really is measured. Um, you're going to you're gonna get better results. Although I will say this. I will say this. For those of us dilettante photographers who don't print as much as we should and who don't, you know. Yeah, yeah that's me. <laughs> you know, who are just kind of like enjoying life in the digital world and leaving yeah. like a, a scattered trail of digital images in our wake. I, mm-hmm. I really do think that it is possible to get too navel gazy about this calibration stuff. If you're pushing mm-hmm. images out and you like the way they look. Because every screen that's going to be, it's going to be on is going to be different. Exactly. So you're kind exactly. of out of luck anyway. This is um, something yeah. that, You can't control that. This is kind of the... What you're seeing now is the video guy talking again because I'm aware of like, you know, where we would have these reference. Yeah, you'd have these, you know, yeah. super expensive and notice that, you know, you don't have. We don't do that. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I say, hey, it still looks pretty poor. And I'm going to go. For that. <laughs> That's my shirt. That's my face. OK, close enough. Yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know that it's going to vary from place to place, but it's going to vary. It's going to be predictably off and if people are sitting at home right. and their yeah. tv saturation is turned way up and everyone's lobster vision on their screen that's their that's, problem that's what they're used to and everything else looks like that so everything else looks like that so you're the, the reason to line up your skin tones properly is often so that your skin tones will be as off as all the other skin tones <laughs> on your mom's tv yeah. i'm more concerned about aspect ratio because oh that one is not attractive well then don't go to my dentist yeah <laughs> Yeah, everything's in a reverse Paula Abdul vision, right? Oh, or like, no. <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah. Sometimes I'll I'll tweet out aspect ratio police, you know, photos. Oh. That I'm, just, I'm I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're talking about. What do you mean? <laughs> aspect ratio like sixteen nine yeah, four three. Exactly. I don't understand. Yeah, yeah so like just, if something's stretched. Yes. Yeah. So obviously, if you have like four by three and then it's stretched to sixteen by that nine, look good. You, you no. do not look like an attractive person. No, <laughs> you're yes. like Whoa. that's by the way. That's my standard. This is I'm stretched. Just so you know, I just want everybody understand. I'm actually much much slimmer than I look. So you also talk about uh, not just color but color contrast. Yeah, yeah. So here's an image. Explain to me what you're talking about when you yeah, say color so contrast. This, this and also actually after this, maybe we can go back to the blog and I can, we can look at that picture of Trey actually because it's a good example. Okay. Too. But but this was a shot. So this is um, in Brooklyn. There's this uh, diner and this cool sort of vintage motorcycle repair shop right in front of it. Mm-hmm. And the um, the the thing is that that shot, when I got it in the camera, everything about it was kind of uniformly this kind of grayish, warmish kind of... Uh, kind mush. There's a gray mush. There was a gray mush. And, um, and I felt like there was something in there worth pulling out and so i started playing with some controls and we can we can get into the specifics of this um but the there are there is a a trick that is used in film color correction which is to not just enhance contrast but to enhance color contrast by pulling familiar colors farther apart and it has to do with porange because the complement to porange is sort of a cyanish Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. much like your logo back there right Right, right. so 
Um, so it's kind of it's a, a paler kind of it's mm-hmm. cold, cool where where we're warm. Yeah, exactly. Basically. It's it's a direct compliment on a mm-hmm. color wheel. And this is a very cool photo. It's cool yeah. blues. So yeah. what I did in this photo is basically I warmed up the highlights and cooled off the shadows. Mm. So the midtones, so everything that's black becomes bluish black. Ah, okay. And I, when we see someone like wearing a leather jacket or when we see like a black car tire or whatever. It's not really black. It's not really black. Mm-hmm. And it's also usually kind of like a warmish gray, like yeah. a like a brownish gray. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But don't let it be, don't let it get away with a brownish gray because then you just have an sh- image that looks like it was just sort of yeah. slathered in sort of a brownish wash, you know. Get those things that aren't people as far away from people colors as possible. And so... In the case of the motorcycle tires mm-hmm. and some of the non-rusty parts of the motorcycle, I pushed them to this cool blue color, and that lets the non-rusty parts pop off. And so the color contrast, I think, is what makes that shot compelling. Every little nook and cranny of that bike has interesting details that pop, not just spatially and in sort of a, a tone range, mm-hmm. but they also it becomes like a uh, like a like a duotone kind of a shot where there's warms and mm-hmm. cools. It is duot- duotone. Yeah. It's like a monochromatic yeah. palette. You yeah. know, palette control is something that is really important so in film color correction. Show us how to do that in uh, Lightroom. I know ev- not everybody uses Lightroom. Sometimes you use Aperture or some other thing. Yeah. Where, where on the controls here do I go? All right, so believe it or not, there is actually, you know, if you were doing a black and white shot in Lightroom, you can do that kind of duotone thing where you can tint the highlights one way right. and the shadows the right. other way, right? So let's find those controls. I think they're below the HSL. B&W here? Is that it? Uh, No, you don't actually need to go into black and white to do this. This is the trick that nobody knows. So (laughs) if you were... Actually, leave it in black and white for a sec. Okay. And scroll down and let's find the duotone controls, whatever they are. It's called that, huh? Yeah, I think so. Split toning? Split tone, that's the one, yeah. All right. Okay, so now um, you get a, a highlight color and a shadow color. Right. So pick sort of a yellowy, orangey color for the highlight. Okay. And bring up the saturation. Okay, so we'll see more of it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There's okay. kind of. And then, uh, and then, same. Now pick a bluish, cyanish kind of color. Okay. For the shadows and okay. bring up saturation. Okay. Oh, we've duotoned it. Yeah. So now we've duotoned it. Now Look at here's that. here's the trick. Go up to your um to your hue curves right up there where you put the image into black and white. Yeah. And switch it out of black and white. Back to, Back to color. HSL or color. Yeah, exactly. Oh, what a nice effect. Look at that. So now all the parts awesome. of the train that were black are now a cool black. And all the parts of the train that were warm are now emphasized warm. So yeah. you have increased the color contrast of your shot. And these love, sliders are still live, so you can still play with I this. I love how uh, you're doing all of this in Lightroom because I would just pull it into Photoshop and, and use spend something like hours levels or, just, yeah, yeah, and... That's like really I do a lot of gradient maps and that kind of thing to to get color, but it yeah. really changes the uh, the feel of that picture. That's like you, said, you picked a perfect shot to try this on. Actually, I, I really like I really like what what happened there. Yeah, just, I think sometimes the blacks kind of came became very interesting. Yeah, yeah, and you can yeah. So th- is that your before? Is that are you are you tweaking? The before it I can go back to this is uh, this is the after we've tweaked it a little bit. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a great way to kind of pop your shot. It's really possible to overdo it. But what's great about Lightroom is that you can store a preset just for those settings. Right. So if you mm-hmm. just have like a little hint of warm highlights, hint of blue shadows, and store that as a preset just for those settings only, it's something you can just click on and you'll find yourself just compulsively clicking on it for every single one of your shots. Very cool. And I'm sure, you know, you could do the same in Aperture and other uh, programs. Yeah, Aperture has like a full kind of copy of Photoshop's levels controls. And right. so it might yeah. be a little fussy, but you can certainly do it. 
Fussy, I don't like. <laughs> Me neither. That's I, why I, like I think uh, Lightroom is worth investing in. You can even do a trial for a month for free. Yeah. So it's three hundred bucks, but if you're serious about your photography, I so. yeah, I think it's a no brainer. I, yeah. I, I just I love it. I mean, I love it for a couple reasons. One of them is that I just my photos get places when I use it because they have that new publishing feature, which is right. Just super I love it. Cool. It's the best, right? It's yeah. just it just means that like. You know, I mean, I have a... I have a Flickr, Facebook, and Smugmug. And yeah. I just say, publish that there, publish well, that there. Well, and, you know, I have, a, I have a young son at home and parents in yep. Minnesota with an iMac where their uh, screensaver is <gasps> linked to a Dropbox folder that I administer from, cool. m- from Lightroom. So they so get new pictures all I the time. I can drag a shot of my kid into this folder and hit publish, and they have Neat. new photos that day. That's, That's a so good that, idea. That kind of stuff, you know, keeps families together. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Stu Mashwitz is here. He's from ProLost.com. Actually, did you want to we'll quickly go to the blog and take a look at uh, you because you wanted to look at a, a tray oh, yeah. so a just, shot that yeah, did the same, kind, same of kind of thing. Just include all of the tips back into one. Um, I, I mean, you don't need to trick Trey into looking cool in a shot, but but <laughs> this, I, I used every single one of the tools that we just talked about. In all of these. Um, I know, in all of these. The, yeah. the VAB is maybe not quite as cyan as I made it in those shots. And, and Trey... Look at that. That is way cyan. Yeah, so... So yeah. you can definitely see like a slight warmish tinge to uh-huh. the to the uh, to the clouds, and uh-huh. definitely uh, a slight. You know the again, I wanted to pop off those doors. By the way, uh, that you're seeing there on the side, um, each one of those is as tall as if you were standing on the deck of the Golden Gate Bridge, looking up at one of the towers. It's wow. wow. <laughs> amazing. Um, but yeah, I wanted to pop kind of the, those doors off the of the building, so use those tools, and then in the shot of Trey, I cooled off the environment which popped his skin tones out his skin tones wound up then getting a little pink so i used the porn slider to get him back into the right color so he looks like a person should look and the vab looks even more kind of uh stark and metallic and and uh and details like those big orange brackets which are actually holdovers they were designed to hold the saturn V rocket if i'm not mistaken uh pop out more um you know that shot before you know, looked kind of uniformly, kind of mushily, warmish gray, and, mm-hmm. and uh, popping the color contrast not only uh, makes it all look better, but it makes the, the 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 person stand out of it. Which to me, this is, I guess, the difference kind of between like a, a, a rank amateur like myself and a professional like like Trey is that Trey can go into the VAB and take a picture, an indelible <laughs> picture of the VAB right. that will like go down in history right. as like the right. photo of right. the VAB. The I actually one. have yeah. to cheat and put a person into it to make the shot interesting. Uh, well, I'm more in your, ba- in, your <laughs> in your ballpark, so I need I appreciate the tip. The tip that's really that's really fantastic. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like unless you're Ansel Adams, get your mom in the shot. It's gonna... <laughs> yeah, and just so you know, this was Trey's picture of the VAB yeah. that he was taking. While you were taking, I kind of had a feeling that I was documenting something important <laughs> while I was uh, taking this photo. Amazing, yeah. Stu. Though you're great. Uh, these are great tips. I, I'm really getting a yeah, lot out of it. Good, I can't good. wait now to get into Lightroom and fix all the bad photos. Right <laughs> and there are quite a few of them. Before we get to uh, Trey, we actually uh, uh, Stu uh, has a favorite photo. This is a new feature. I love this idea that we're going to pick one of their mm. fame, famous, best yeah. loved pictures. And then kind of you could tell us the story behind the sure, show. Sure, yeah. So the story in just a moment behind Epic Sundown. Yeah. But before we, uh, before we do that, I'd like to tell you about our friends at Audible.com, the great place to go to get your favorite audio books, 70,000 titles. I live on Audible.com, I have to say. Uh, if it weren't for Audible, I would have probably uh, 
gone crazy commuting to San Francisco, <laughs> which I did for 13 years, uh, saved my life. And I still listen to audiobooks like crazy. You can get your first audiobook from Audible absolutely free right now if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash photo. So many great books to choose from. I don't know how you're going to pick. You said, Stu, you listen to Audible books? Yeah, yeah. Do you like fiction? What do you like to listen to? I do kind of equal parts, kind of uh, bad airport spy fiction, Robert <laughs> Ludlum kind of stuff. Yep. Nice. And then also, you know, after I came back from my trip and meeting Trey, he uh, suggested that I should read Predictably Irrational. What a great book. He picked that yeah. before. Yeah, yeah, it's such a good book. So that that definitely highly uh, recommended. I'm looking, company on their flight home. You learn so much. You can enjoy and learn. I'm very interested in this one, Area 51. The Uncensored History of America's Top Secret Military Base. Oh, that looks cool. <laughs> There's so many great things. Oh, I'll totally tell you what. One. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Go to audiblepodcast.com slash photo. Pick your book. The first month is free. Your first book is free. You can cancel it any time. It's yours to keep forever. We love Audible. Plays on all your devices, including all the iDevices, the iPhone, iPod, iPad. It also plays on all Android devices. In fact, those Audible apps. I love that Audible app. It's incredible. For Android and iPhone, your whole library is there. You can listen at any time. Do try it. You're going to love it. Audiblepodcast.com slash Mostly Photo. We thank them for their support of the Mostly Photo show. All right. Let's take a look at this picture and uh, let's hear the story uh, behind the picture. It's called, uh, I got to pull it up. Where is it? Yeah, this is actually somebody that you met. Uh, this is uh, Mike Seymour in this shot. Oh. Um, and uh, you, he, uh, he came on uh, Twit, I think, when you were at NAB. Oh, And yeah. he brought with him that camera that's in his hands. That there, was the amazing yeah. and epic. Yeah. So, uh, so Mike is an old friend, and um, he, some of the shots that he was showing were shots that he and I shot together, shots that I and shot. And those helicopter shots yeah. were mind-boggling. So he and I took turns. This was his turn, so I'm... Uh, in the um, kind of shotgun seat. Go of- back if you haven't, folks, looked at that. I can't remember which Twitch special it was from NAB, but he, we showed a lot of the footage yeah. from this camera, and it was just mind-boggling. Yeah, yeah and Mike, I think, did a Four, really good job. 5K. 4K. 5K. 5K, 5K yeah. um, basically kind of a 7D-sized sensor, um, but IMAX resolution. Yeah. And um, that, that lens on there is actually uh, a a kind of kitted out converted stills lens so it's from a, a, a company called duclos lenses and it's uh i think it's a tokina um 11 to 16 zoom hmm. and uh but he rigs them up actually we'll talk about this when we get to the gear but um you know with focus gears and all that stuff and mike's got it on a uh, gyro stabilizing rig now here's the thing we went to new zealand we shot amazing footage we were using this amazing camera um my job here in in the co-pilot seat was just to kind of pick fun locations and to just really give Mike a chance to use his own camera because I had spent the morning doing what he's doing, dangling out of the helicopter. <laughs> and I had a profound sense of just the emotional experience of being in a new country, mm-hmm. a beautiful place. So beautiful. And being able to see it in such a special way, dangling yeah. out of a helicopter yeah. with a really cool camera in my hands. I just, again, kind of overcome with the emotion of the situation. So at the end of the day, we're kind of running out of maybe mm-hmm. stuff to shoot. The sun is going down. Mm. And Mike's kind of got that, like, you know, adventure guy kind of look on his, you know, strapped into the helicopter. His business partner's holding on to that strap there so he can lean out. Oh, dear. We're, you know, I don't know, probably six, seven hundred feet off the water there. And the the sun just kind of exploded behind him like that. And I just thought this is going to be the shot that not only 
reminds me of the experience of mm-hmm. going off and doing this shoot, but I think would instantly sell the experience and, and, and make anyone looking at it feel the way we felt doing this. Okay. You know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was a, it was a, one of those rare opportunities, you know, sometimes I think we compulsively are just pressing that shutter button going, I'm trying to bring something home with me, yeah. you know, and uh, something really precious and, and you wind up with a bunch of garbage, yeah. you know, I got so yeah. 6,000 6, <laughs> from my last trip. Yeah. And don't you feel like it's kind of a compulsion? Yeah. Like yeah. So you're experiencing something and you want to hold on to it and, yep. and you've got a tool in your, in your hands that you know can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so when it works, I, I do feel like, you know, that's a special occasion. So really great. One, one shot, you know, out of 6,000 that actually does do that. So it's that all about capturing a moment. And obviously, I remember a post you wrote. Um, one of the first things I ever re- read from you is about how important light is. Oh, yeah, yeah. And just how it's, you know, there's three things that are important. And, right. and light is just because so, you have moment and yeah. you have light. Right. There's, and when two those two combined, and that's what the shot is. It's moment <laughs> and light combined into one. Yeah, and, and the third one, which is the fact of the matter, just the simple subject matter, you know, right. which I know Rick talked about uh, on a recent show, right? He talked yeah. about, like, don't I never underestimate the power of a good subject. Like, to me, actually, I, I almost have the, again, not, I have the advantage of not being a professional. So I have this sort of inverse priority. To me, light now is what gets my camera out of the bag. Yeah, and, for me too. And then I look for a moment, mm-hmm. and at that moment, I don't care what the fact is. I don't care when I'm taking a photo. It's nice when it can be something really cool, like a guy hanging out of a helicopter with a prototype camera. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but honestly, it's a weird thing because now having an infant toddler running around my house, I watch him, and I watch him do things like ignore shadows and see objects. And I realize that actually from a really young age, we are learning to not see light. Right. And so we have to, as want to take up this photography thing you 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 actually have you have to back out of that you have to kind of unlearn Mm. some habits that helped you you know not trip over things when when you were first learning how the world operates you Mm. know if if you got distracted by shadows as a as a toddler you would never survive in the world you know Mm. um and uh so learning to see light is such a commonly said thing that it borders on cliche but i did write a post called Fact Moment Light on ProLoss.com that if people want to read it, it is kind of my... That was, yeah, that was something that really inspired me. It was one, right? oh, Yeah, awesome. no, it was one of the oh, first thanks. things that, that I was like, okay, yeah, this is, this is what it is. And I think for me now, too, I, I seek light. And every time I see great light, yeah. I don't care what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's why I always feel like I always have to have a camera on me. And Absolutely. whether it's, 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 you know, I try to have my 5D, but if I don't, I always have my iPhone. Yeah. I see great light wherever I am. Everyone in the group has to stop and we're capturing this. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's just, it's just those moments that, and, and, and to think you're never going to come back to that moment. I think people think, oh, I'll get it later. Yeah. You're yeah. never going to get that later. Yeah. Light, light, light helps you kind of crystallize that, 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 uh, preciousness of those moments because there is, you can scout a location for the perfect little shaft of light that's going to hit there, but it just, there's no guarantees, yeah. you know, things change it's in a that, day. It's the unexpected moments and being prepared for them and yeah. capturing them when they're happening. Absolutely. So Stu brought some uh, gear. Yes, I'm excited. <laughs> let's see what you, let's see what you we got. haven't seen video gear. Other Philip Bloom came on and and he talked a bit about video oh. gear, but that guy, what is now this, guy? so <laughs> talk about decoy. <laughs> <laughs> this is a for an, an SLR. Yeah, turns so it into you're, you're, a video camera though. Yeah, so this is um, this is from a company. This is actually kind of a hybrid rig. 
Um, there's there's a uh, shoulder mount rig from a company called Red Rock Micro, and then there's a uh, eyepiece from a company called Zacuto. And basically, I've got a frame that is kind of uh, stuck on the back of my 7D here, and I can click this eyepiece onto it. And then, um, so you were saying how uncomfortable it is to shoot video with your yeah this is DSLR. This basically turns it into the, exactly the same form factor as a video camera. That's exactly right. So this is kind of trying to offset the uncomfortableness that you feel when you first start shooting video with your SLR. Right. And um, what it's doing is it's changing the weight distribution, and it's also um, you know kind of uh, catamaraning the, the 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 camera out onto this little outrigger so that the camera can go right in front of you. There's other ways to do this too. You can leave the camera over here, and you can put a little monitor here or a separate viewfinder, but this is kind of the most minimal configuration. One of the things I have trouble with because of these really high-resolution 1080p SLRs is if you don't hold it pretty steady, you're going to make people sick. <laughs> so, yeah. but, so I feel like I always have to put it on a tripod to take advantage of that Christmas, well, but this fighting, is a nice halfway point. Yeah, you're fighting a couple things. Um, the As high-resolution as they are, they don't resolve detail as well as a proper video camera, so... If you're just slightly keeping the shot alive, you might wind up with sizzling. That's what it is. Like okay. That. Plus the CMOS rolling. And then that you there's the rolling shutter, right? Yeah. Which is that you're not just swimming, but you're also sloshing. That's why easily. I want to always put it on sticks. Yeah. Which, by the way, is the right thing to do. I have a thing about tripods, which is tripods are like pants. You use them, you know, because <laughs> you have some respect for yourself. You know, like, like, uh, but, but there is a time and a place for handheld. And, and you, it's not every time and every place. But right. if you're going to do it, um, it isn't it, – it's – you know, I don't want to give anyone the impression this this rig, this total cost of this rig is is probably I mean, the the the. You show. should have bought a video camera, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> you know, that, it's thousands of bucks, right? This, this so this is going to be about sixteen hundred bucks for this thing, and then this little viewfinder in and of itself is maybe two three hundred bucks. Right. So um, there's a lot there's a lot of different there's a whole kind of range of prices. This one's really expensive from Zakuda, but their stuff is amazing. So uh, you. I don't want to give people the impression that you have no business doing this stuff unless you want to go down the road of buying gear. But if you're wondering why your shots are coming back kind of right. not so great, you know, the answer lies somewhere down the road of throwing it on sticks or if yeah. you have to go handheld, supporting yourself, you know, taking taking it seriously. And, and, right. and, and thinking about the cost, factor. like how much it used to cost to make amazing videos. This is videos. so much better. This, yeah. is, so, yeah. this is nothing. Yeah. And, and if you are thinking about doing professional stuff, the combined cost yeah. of this is less than the Sony VX1000, the first DV camcorder that I ever bought. I went into the good guys and right. I and I like wrestled it out of the guy's hands and bought it that day. <laughs> so like to me, I still this that's predictably irrational, right? You set like a what is it like? There's a the target price right. that you sort of like like gas will always seem cheap. Right. Gas will always seem expensive and computers will always seem cheap to us. So this seems cheap to me. This seems right. like are you kidding yeah. me? And this is a. 35 millimeter sized piece of film here. And most importantly is this follow focus here. If you can see there's oh, a gear that's interesting. that is wrapped around the, uh, this is the um, uh, 50 millimeter F1.4. And this is, um, and there's a gear that's wrapped around it. And then there's a gear that mates with it and lets me focus through here. So that, and then the magnification of the makes a big difference. Yeah. Means that I can actually hold the focus. That's interesting. Really kind of intuitively. As things move around. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, that is something. That's another reason I use a tripod. 
Yeah. Is because I want to focus and I want to leave it there. But this is something moves. I'm screwed because yeah. this is all shallow yeah. focus. One focus is one of the most difficult things when you're when just you're first a camera like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah it's exactly. tough. It's and tough. And you have to kind of train yourself in the weird kind of logic of it. Mm -hmm. um, you you're going to you're, what you're going to do is you're going to decide for a while that your style is a hunting for focus style, and yeah. then you're going to get over that, and you're going to decide that maybe you should learn to focus. So just you know find something that's moving around, just chase your dog around or whatever. Somebody did a video uh, of the Giants World Series parade, and it was all shot with hunting focus. Yeah, yeah. and it was kind of cool for the first three minutes, and then oh, I yeah. wanted to throw up. Yeah, no, I and couldn't. it's going to go down in history as kind of like. The no good. Signaling the advent of DSLR <laughs> popularity was like that we all kind of let ourselves believe the lie that hunting for focus was like a stylistic choice for a little. <laughs> do you have any video that you've shot with this rig uh, online anywhere? I, we could. Uh... I do. If you go to uh, Vimeo, the okay. ProLost account on Vimeo, um, it's sort of a weird example, but um, I, uh, I shot a fake movie trailer with some friends. I like it. Uh, which one should and I? And you're using the uh, Canon 7D and the 5D Mark II. Yeah, either one two. goes on the thing. So look at Brick and Steel there, the second one in. And so this is a this is kind of a classic case of what I was talking about in terms of uh, the production value and uh, trying to get the most out of these lightweight rigs. This is literally a, a reunion birthday party for a friend's 40th birthday with all our old uh, film school buddies. And we got together and we shot a fake action movie trailer. <laughs> and I put all the kind of practices to work. I used this rig, um, shot a bunch of stuff in slow motion with the 7D. That's a lot of re reason why when I'm shooting video, I, I kind of tend to reach for the 7D first is it has that 60 frames per second, 720p mode. Right. So you can do some slow motion there. And then... Um, we uh, and then I, I used um, Colorista and Magic Bullet to color correct the whole thing to try to make it look as much like a Michael Bay movie as possible. Awesome! <laughs> Here it is, brick and steel. <laughs> I should mention that there's some male nudity in this, but it's, okay, uh, well, but it's in sort of a European tasteful way. Close your eyes. <laughs> if male nudity is offensive, please close your eyes now. I love it. So you can immediately see the color correction on it. It's great. Beer's ready. Makes such a difference. Makes it look so filmic. Should take heart? <laughs> <laughs> to retirement. To retirement. <laughs> Who did the score? It's stock music, believe it or not. It sounds it's great. Trailer music. Slow-mo. How does where's the gun <laughs> So this is the thing about these guys. A lot of these guys, these are all my homeschool buddies, but They've all gone on to be extremely uh, talented and successful filmmakers. So you're seeing like Pixar directors here, uh, Iron Man 2, In a world fight scene storyboard where artists. one man gets very old. <laughs> this is my elaborate 40-year... It's, <laughs> it's a perfect 40-year-old. Uh, you got to save something for 50, though, trust me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and 60. To relive the past. Dick Steel in that first and final adventure. <laughs> I like it. I like it. 
We'll tell you what. We'll let you uh, watch yeah, the rest go, of this. We'll cut before there, the male nudity. Yeah, uh, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone will appreciate it. It really looks great. A lot of production work. What, final cut? Is that what you use? Yeah, so I cut that in final cut, but then I uh, did sort of a funky workflow where I XML'd it out of final cut into Premiere so that I could get it into After Effects, which is where I did all the color work. Yeah, of course, you've written a book on After Effects. You're the king of Yeah, After so Effects, to me, so. that's kind of the way for a video artist who wants to kind of push their work to the next level is to um, take kind of a cue from the audio world, which is that there's no listening to audio without sitting in a suite with you know a mixing board and being right. able to kind of sweeten it. To me, After Effects is the best place to kind of sweeten the video. So I, we have a plugin at Red Giant Software called Denoiser. So I took all of the noise out of all the footage and I used Colorista to color correct it all. And while I'm there, I can also do things like add all the visual effects. So those titles that you saw, but also later there's gunfights and things. So I'm adding muzzle flashes. Wow. I'm in one place where I can do all of those kinds of effects. And that's what I talk about in the book. That's the pretty DVD good Rebels for guy. a 40th birthday. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, obviously. <laughs> How many hours did you put into that thing? I, I'd had a moment where I was like, is am I just doing this because I love my buddy or am I kind of, no, actually I'm like, wait, this is filmmaking and I'm having fun. Uh And, and I kind of had to realize like, that's actually sort of the closest thing to a job that I have. So I should just really (laughs) embrace this and have fun with it. So my friends were like, Hey, how's that coming? And I'm like, I'm, you know, just got a, few more really complicated visual effects shots to do for it. (laughs) So we have some awards to hand out. $100 Amazon gift certificates in our mostly photo uh, awards. Uh, Last week we had some really great finalists and Lisa picked, and it it was hard, I know, because they were all so good. I know, I know. I just, I I really love this shot. how can you not love this shot? I just love the light and obviously the expression and everyone who knows, who's Shot a child before. Don't shoot a child. (laughs) Take pictures of children. Photographed a child knows how difficult it is to capture a a straight on shot like that. Yeah. That's Bob Shot 2010. Bob Shot, you're going to get a $100 Amazon uh, gift certificate in the mail to you. And this is our people's choice because, you know, people get to vote via Twitter. And everybody loved the romance. There's a light. The first <laughs> yeah. kiss at the end of the day by Jared Ropolato. Good pick. Really beautiful. So both of you, Gerald and Bob, you get $100 Amazon certificates. And then I invite all of you to go to mostlyphotoadventures.com. Click the finalists tab because we have our week five finalists. And let me show you. these. You picked these from how many photos? Thousands of photos I think we, we were looking at now. Um this is number one, Blue Ridge at 2 a.m. or something by Tress Chapin. You love those HDR shots, don't you? It's You're Trey. Softy. I didn't I didn't I didn't like HDR and then Trey's just Trey won you he's, over. He's just sucked me in. Blame Trey. Or Rio at Sunset. Wow. Mm. By CM Ortega. I guess it's landscape photography uh, this time. And finally, this is another HDR shot from Lake, and I'm gonna get this wrong. Eskilstuna by Visual Ideas. And that's something, too. Now, those three are our finalists, but who's going to be a winner? Well, Lisa will pick her favorite, but you need to pick yours via Twitter. You go to mostlyphotoadventures.com, click the finalist link, and you'll get the Twitter hashtags. There are three of them, Mostly Photo Award 13, 14, and 15. So you get to, you get to pick. This is Mostly Photo Award 13, Mostly Photo Award 14. It's easiest if you just do this from the website and Mostly Photo Award 15. Somebody's going to win a $100 
Amazon certificate from Lisa and somebody going to win it from you. You get to pick. And uh, this, this is a challenge. Which is your favorite? For, for this week, I'd love to set the theme as light. Just light. Yeah, light. Let's Just, see your use of I, light. I want to see you head out and, and capture some photos in any way that you feel light. Do, do, what, <laughs> do what you and Stu were talking about. Start with the light. Start yeah, yeah. with the light. Exactly. I love that. Yeah, start with the light and then go So you've go got forward. a week to sort of eye out this light mm-hmm. and grab some good good stuff. So here's how you do it. You go to, you have to have a Flickr account, but you know what? I bet you you all do. If you don't, it's free to get one. If you have a Yahoo account, that counts. F-L-I-C-K-R dot com. Once you've joined, I want you to join our Mostly Photo uh, group, which is Mostly Photo dot just mostly photo. Flickr.com slash groups slash mostly photo. No space. No space, no S. Yes. <laughs> mostly photo. Okay. Once you're in the group, then you can submit your pick. Uh, I would say let's put light in the uh, tag. Yeah, put it in a tag. Make it easier for you to find. Yeah. And uh, then we'll pick our finalists uh, next week. And next week on the 24th, we will also announce our winner. And uh, all you have mm-hmm. to do is go to www.mostlyphotoadventures.com. Click the finalists tab. And you'll see our finalists for next week, as well as uh, maybe your photo in uh, in a week and a half. You have until, see, let me get this right. I don't have a date on here. You have till the 22nd to vote, and then we'll announce it on the 24th. That gives us a couple of days. All right. A couple of questions from our audience, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Go ahead, Lisa. You pick some good ones. Yeah. Oh, you want me to read them? You don't have them in front of you. Question one. This comes from Toby, or sorry, Tony Shaler in Albany, Oregon. I'm new to photography, and I bought a Canon EOS 7D, just like the one you were using, Stu. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's interesting. You prefer that to the 5D? Oh, no, I've got the 5D. You've got both. All right. I basically just... 7D for movies and 5D for stills. You like the video better on the 7D? Well, no, but I like, there's a couple features. The, the 60p is huge for me, so uh, that's I, what you're looking. I can't for. live without either. I mean, I'm okay. a, the 5D Mark II is like never more than a foot away from yeah. my hand with the 50 millimeter f 1.2 on it. That's like me too. Yeah, you gotta just that's <laughs> me like too. That's my mode. favorite lens. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he says I'd like a. Um, he's going to shoot video primarily. I'd like uh, a wide angle lens, but I have practically no budget for photography now. I know that the Mm. cropped sensor in the 7d is not ideal since it will limit the field of view on even the widest lenses what options do i have in the prosumer and that wouldn't cost me a fortune are there cheap solutions that will get me by until i can afford the real thing i don't know the answer off the top of my head to that one i'm actually going to my own website to look at this because oh. i use the 16 to 35 that's kind of what lives yeah, in my bag next I to love, it's a great love, lens love right that i lens. have it's it not a, not a cheap it's lens but it's not a cheap lens so other folks have recommended let's see i have a I'm really you have don't a gear mean to, section on your I blog? I do. Like, I have a Prolos store. So oh, that's go, cool. So where do I go? I go, go to... Go to the Prolos store there. Oh, there it is. Sort of thing, and do the 70 Cine kit. All right. Here we go. So it's, I think, the second or third one down there at the top. Uh, uh, go up to the top little categories. Oh, I see. There. The Cine kit yeah. accessories. Oh, no. There's the whole kit. Yeah, the Cine kit. So I think... So there's the 16 to 35. So this is what you recommend that people buy... Yeah, this is me trying to kind of give you like a shortcut to getting for started. the whole filmmaking setup. Yeah, so I think what I'm, I think I offer 
an alternative. Yeah, look one at of that. these so Tokinas or go. a Tamron. Yeah, that eleven to sixteen. So that Tokina eleven to sixteen. That's not that's bad. That's the lens that Mike and I were shooting in New Zealand with. That's with a red. That uh, yeah, that with uh, an epic. The close guy. Uh, uh, now you might say that's pricey, but boy, for that eight hundred bucks is not bad no, at that's all. Nothing. F two point eight half price. What about <laughs> picking up an old uh, seventeen to forty like? Uh, yeah, in fact, I think if you go back one page, I think there was another. What? What's that? Uh, this is the Tamron, the seventeen yeah, fifty. That? That's six forty nine. That's yeah, a little so less. That's expensive. another good option. I think the thing here's the thing about shooting video. You can let yourself off the hook a little bit. It doesn't like, have to be as. Yeah, crisp. I mean, I'm a big, you know, red ring snob, just like any Canon shooter is. But like, if you're only <laughs> He's talking sh- about the L lenses, yeah. If, if you only <laughs> shoot uh, video, you can. You can let yourself off the hook with that stuff a little bit, and and especially at the wide end, um, these lenses. Now, what about are gonna, the crop factors? You you shoot with a seven D with this lens, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, these certainly uh, the the sixteen. You know, I I keep, I keep the the twenty four to seventy f two point eight L right. in my bag all the time. Like that's, that's is that the kit. No the, no, the kit's the F4 uh, 24 to one hundred five. That's right. Yeah. And I ditched that and got the twenty four to seventy. Um, the uh, it's big, it's bigger and bulkier and heavier than the twenty four to one hundred five, but it's faster. Um, and uh, and obviously you give up the end of the zoom, but I, I also feel like with the five D Mark II, you got plenty of room to crop. You know, um, the uh, so that lens is really useful in general terms on the five D Mark II. I think kind of the equivalent is the sixteen to thirty five on the on the seven. When they say sixteen to thirty five, is that without the crop factor? Do I have to make a multiple? You have to make a multiple yeah. if you want equivalent. If you're one if you, and a like half. me, kind of grew up with a with a full frame right. film camera, like then yeah, you have to you have to do the one point six multiplier, 6, yeah, okay. to get the. To, so on this Tamron seventeen to fifty, you multiply uh, times one point six to get the actual. Yeah, that's right. I, I there really is no sort of hundred dollar, two hundred dollar option for a wide angle lens. It's no, too true. expensive. Huh? Yeah, no. I mean, the the beautiful thing about the fifty, right? The thrifty fifty. Yeah. Is <laughs> that people have been making fifty millimeter lenses for so long, and it's such a kind of sweet spot, butter zone kind of lens manufacturing that you can get a fast, nice fifty, like the a one four is not too bad. One four, three hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. One one eight for like I don't know, free in a box of cereal. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I. I uh, but once you want to go wide, you you battle a lot of stuff. Even the that sixteen to thirty five has like edge sharpness issues at the thirty five mil end of the thing. So like you know you're gonna be, uh, you can spend as much as you want. Right. <laughs> the, what about like a like a thirty five prime? Oh well, those are great. I mean the, but you're not gonna save a ton of money there either. Yeah, I mean yeah, so the, they're they're um. Both, I think, Canon. I know Nikon did this. Um, they came out with thirty-five primes that were crop sensor only, and they mm-hmm. had not. They they used that as an opportunity to make them smaller and cheaper. So if you were like, you know, because I've got a mm-hmm. fifty on this um, on the seven D, which is like having a seventy-five on a five D. Right. And so if I I should really maybe just for kind of general walking around purposes have a thirty-five prime on there, and you could get a pretty cost-effective thirty-five mil prime. Yeah, it's the one prime that I that I don't have and that I'm oh, yeah. really interested in checking it out. And I noticed that you, uh, that you kind of talk about the GH2 here. I have a GH1. That's a, yeah. it's not a true SLR. You ha- it has a video pickup. No, it's an Evil. Yeah. 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 What is that? Inter- <laughs> electronic viewfinder. It's, it's a micro lens. four thirds yeah, uh, micro camera four-thirds. and it does pretty competent video, I think. Yeah, it's great. In fact, I kind of, my next little project is I'm going to slug it onto this rig. I, I have the GH2 and yeah. I'm going to actually, 
uh, see if I can kind of change up my shooting style from kind of 5D Mark II with a fast prime for beautiful close-ups of people and then for more action kind of stuff, because uh. I do a lot of kind of fight scenes and things like that, right. uh, super lightweight uh, GH2 that shoots really good, solid 24p at 1080, and it shoots 60p at 720. And the quality, the codec is a little more abusive, so the compression Squeezes is a little, more, yeah, yeah, is a little, a little higher. But uh, there's not as much of that aliasing kind of sizzle right. that we associate with the SLRs because right. Panasonic really has a foundation in making good, high quality video cameras. I bought one just to see, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of did impressed. too. It was like, yeah. you know, you like yours, don't you? I do. Well, I also like I like the uh, Micro Four Thirds because they're more compact. Yeah. yeah. Did you get the I twenty mil pancake lens? I the, did. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of the only. That's the the bummer of it is that that's kind of the only really have, good lens. They don't have a lot of choices. Yeah. yeah. But you can get a. Cheap little adapter. Uh, there's a GSG page one. on there. I have one. You can use yeah, like OM1 throw, lenses on Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I just made, I, I put my uh, 16 to 35. It looks ridiculous when you start putting these Canon lenses on this little thing. It's like a I need to get the lens, Canon adapter because I have the Olympus yeah. adapter to put the OM1 lenses on there, but I should get a Canon adapter. Yeah, you'll enjoy it because I, I know you have a Canon bunch of lenses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ton of those. Yeah, it works great. Isn't that, isn't that a bit ridiculous? Like, <laughs> like the weight of it? It, it actually it is a legitimate problem because it's the like, it seems uh, really dangerous. You'll, you'll be in the middle of shooting, and all of a sudden the image will black out, and it, you'll realize that you've let the lens sag a little bit, yeah. and it like, torques <laughs> the adapter, and the camera goes, "Whoa, I, I don't have a lens on anymore," and it shuts off. So yeah, it is kind of, you. You know, when you some rigs like this, one of the reasons that you have this kind of rail system here is that you can actually. If a lens gets big and heavy ah, sticking gotcha. off the top, you can bring in a support oh, that, that mounts on the rails uh, and, re and rests the lens. So it's not that you couldn't use this with a smaller camera and a bigger lens, but you're going to get into the zone where you're going to run another one of these little spans that goes between these carbon fiber rods and, and knuckles up underneath the lens and gives it a Do little Do you have to put a counterweight on the, on the back? Does it have a counterweight? Yeah, like so, if you have so this is just a big, solid lump of metal right here. And right. that's its only job is to uh, just make the whole it's thing a cantilever. heavier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stu, it's been such a pleasure meeting you. And thank you so much for uh, for sharing your tips with us. I've learned a lot here. If you want to know really, more really about Stu, fun. his blog, ProLost.com, is the place to go. And yes, he's got that store with lots of great suggestions and lots of great pictures. That's uh, great if you well. don't know what you're doing I like the idea. to have just a list Stu's of Stu's like, kit. Yeah. Here's yeah. all the stuff I use. It's a great yeah. idea. Thank you, Stu. Really nice to meet you. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you all for joining us. Don't forget, mostlyphotoadventures.com. We've got another uh, contest going on, our People's Choice and our award winners. Please get there to uh, vote. Thanks to uh, Lisa Bettany. You can find her at mostlylisa.com. And, of course, Camera Plus, her amazing application. <laughs> A multi-million bestseller in the app store for iPhones. You yeah, who's have. jealous of whose iPhone? Yeah, no kidding. What's yours, Stu? Plug I, yours. We can, maybe we can combine. I'll get your light leaks and we'll like make a deal. <laughs> it's, uh, what is it called? Bullet? What's it? Uh, plastic, plastic Bullet. Plastic every, Bullet. Every, uh, every Camera Plus customer also needs Plastic Bullet. Exactly. You should have them both. Yeah, why not? They go together. Yeah. Stu, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for being here. We do this show every Tuesday right after Mac Break Weekly, about 4.30 Eastern, 1.30 Pacific at live twit.tv stop by again if you haven't seen it uh, or you missed some episodes we've got them all online too at twit.tv slash photo release a bet me on the yellow port thanks for joining us we'll see you next time on mostly photo